All right, guys, we have the intro to the intro, so you know we're doing some cool stuff. Um, I wanted to talk to y'all a little bit about this. Uh, this is a new uh, sponsor. Yeah, we got a sponsor for the podcast, um, and it's none other than Bad Motivator Barrels. Uh, go to badmotivatorbarrels.com. I'm going to set it down. <laughs> go to badmotivatorbarrels.com and uh, find you a good barrel. Uh, go to the checkout. You put coupon code SHAMAN5 and I'll give you 5% off that barrel. Um, this is a limited time offer. Uh, we're going to run this for a little while and see how see how it works. Uh, these guys have really tight margins. So get, get it while you can. And also they have a wait list of people trying to get the barrels. So get in there and get them before the holiday rush. That's why we're doing this a little early um, so that you don't have the uh, to worry about the holiday rush. You're going to run out. And you're probably thinking, well, I'm not a craft distillery. I'm not a hypothetical whiskey maker. Um, why would I want one? Well, like I've said before, um, for one, they're cool as hell on the shelf. <laughs> um, and they have different char levels, toast levels. They're doing all cool, all sorts of cool stuff with like uh, uh, old bourbon barrels and stuff like that. Um, but why would you want one? Um, because you want to, you, if you're really into whiskey, part of that is changing whiskey and learning about it and stuff like that. So taking it and putting whiskey in another barrel and double oaking it or something like that is a really cool concept. So uh, go to your local, there's a local distillery by you, I'm sure there is, get some of their new make, fill one of these barrels and make your own whiskey. It's totally legal, nothing nothing uh, skirting the line there. So get you one of those, uh, fill it up, it's super cool. Yeah, it takes a little time and effort and stuff like that, but if you're really into whiskey and you wanna nerd out on it, that's the best way to do it. So again, go to badmotivatorbarrels.com at, at uh, checkout. Make sure you put Shaman 5 because you get 5% off that barrel. And I cannot thank uh, Chris over at Badmo enough for uh, taking a chance at sponsoring us. And I really appreciate that. And I appreciate all the listeners. And y'all have fun. Be safe. And also, uh, stay tuned. The podcast is coming. It's a banger. I'm going to tell you right now, this podcast is going to be a banger. So until next time, keep your spirits up, guys. What's up, guys? Welcome back. So, yeah, feeling a little funky today. Getting a little funky in you. Uh, <laughs> I hope everybody's doing good. Still hot, man. Still hot out here in the shed. But we're making it work, bro. We're making it work. Um, so, yeah. Um, we're going to dive dive into it here pretty quick. Today, we're going to talk about yeast, fermentation. It's going to get freaking nerdy, bro. But it's going to be fun. And then we're going to talk about 
a specific distillery and the way that they uh, capture and keep their yeast and stuff like that. So I think it's going to be pretty, um, I don't know if it's exciting or not, but um, it's going to be informative for sure. Um, did a little research, you know what I mean? Um, but before all that, you know, you know, we're going to talk a little bit, you and I, as friends do. Um, <clears throat> so the last we talked, I was planning on going to the doctor again, getting all my blood work stuff taken care of. So, um, I did that, went to the doctor twice in one week, two separate doctors. Um, and it was really, yeah, it was really good. It was really good for me to see and for me to be around um, two different leanings of the of the medical field. One that's a traditionalist, and the other one that's more of a Eastern Eastern medicine, I guess you could say, holistic, whatever. And they both kind of came up with the same idea. Obviously, one had pharmaceutical grade stuff, and the other one had you know others, but. Um, so I ended up getting a steroid shot. Yeah, I know. I hated to do it, but man, I was feeling bad. And I don't know if you can tell by my voice or anything like that. I am feeling a little bit better, which is great. And I'm amazed. And I'm so thankful for the fact that I can, uh, I can do that. Um, then went to the second doctor, got all my blood work, did all that stuff. And, you know, it was off a little bit, obviously trying to adjust the mic. (coughs) Hope it sounds better. Got this new mic. Sounds crispy, but I don't know if it does on your end. Uh, hopefully, it does. Anyway, um, but uh, the doc said there was some some things, some concerns, but nothing nothing out of line. Um, and once we get this whatever under control, it should be fine. So that's good news. Good news there, all around. So um, I really, I really just want to get over this, you know, because it's like, man, when you feel like crap, you don't feel like doing anything. You just want to lay down in a hole and die sometimes and you're like crap I I can't I literally can't um so yeah that was that was fun that was fun to hear that there's actually hopefully some healing going on so um sorry the shed's popping off there's noises and stuff going on in here I don't know what the heck's going on um but anyway uh, yeah, I was cleaning up and stuff today. It's been, it's, it wasn't super hot. We actually had a freak, uh, freak storm yesterday. Actually, uh, lit a fire about 10, uh, maybe five miles away from our house. We could see it. Uh, kind of scary. Um, I didn't want it to get any closer than it did. Uh, I have some family who actually lives on that road, and I was a little bit concerned that they were going to be in trouble, but they weren't. So, uh, that was awesome. Um, so yeah, other than that, I mean, it's just, you know, more stuff. It's getting, we're getting out of uh, the heat wave. So hopefully it'll start cooling off a little bit. Um, I just had uh, my birthday, which was, which was fun. Um, it didn't really do a whole lot. We just ate normal dinner. You know, my wife uh, didn't even make a cake. She went and bought one, uh, which I'm totally fine with. You know, I don't, I don't I'm not the type that likes all this uh, grandiose, uh, you know, make me a party, do all this stuff. I'm just more like, let's not talk about it. You know what I mean? I And I hate to do that. I'm trying to get better about it, but it's uh, it's difficult. It's difficult, especially when you're, when you don't want to put the, the show on you. You want the, the show to be for everyone. I love celebrating other people. Love that. That's so much fun. 
Um, I'm hoping this 80s music in the background isn't too loud. Doing a little 80s music today. I'm feeling a little, a little fresh, you know what I mean? Because um, I'm feeling better, so that's good. Um, but um, did a little shed work and was rearranging some stuff. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's just fun. It's fun to be able to actually do stuff without it being a million degrees. Now it's hot. Don't get me wrong. It's still hot, but at least it's not, you know, 70,000 degrees outside to where I can't, uh, you know, do anything. So, okay. Where are we going to go? Let's see. Um, I think that's it. I think that's it for, uh, for housekeeping. Um, other than I really appreciate you guys, um, um, you know, uh, watching the, the videos on, on YouTube as well. Um, there was quite a few of them, uh, you know, the, the newer one, by the time you hear this, it'll be newer, the one with JJ Jackson. That one was super fun, man. It was super fun talking to him and hearing his story. And that's, that's part of whiskey is like hearing other people's stories. And, uh, it was super fun. Uh, he's a super cool guy. Uh, and, hopefully before you hear this i will have a bottle of the outpost that he has made the malted blue corn whiskey the clear malted blue corn whiskey um and i will review it on my youtube and possibly do a sunday deep dive on it as well i don't as of the time of recording this i don't have it in my possession uh but it is has been verified that it has been shipped so we'll see what happens there you know shipping Stuff is difficult sometimes. You know, gotta stay hydrated in the shed, bros. Mm. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk about yeast, baby. No, let's, uh, okay. So the whole premise of this conversation, I guess you could say, was we all know that yeast is i mean that whiskey in itself is natural it's chemistry it's alchemy it's all of those things but one of the biggest factors in it is the yeast and a lot of whiskey producers don't geek out as much on the yeast they use a what they call a daddy yeast or a, a distiller's dry active distiller's active dry yeast it's basically a commodity yeast right but there are some, and we've talked about this in the past, there are some that are really using a beer perspective when they are um, making their whiskeys. And they're t uh, talking about fermentations and yeast strains and propagating their own yeast on site. That way they have control of it. It's their specific brand. They don't have to... Um, you know, mess with uh, any of the commercial ones they have their own. Or a lot of times they'll hybridize one that they, that they felt that has worked really well, hybridize it with something else, and therefore they have a unique profile. Uh, because yeast, and we'll get into this in a minute, has really cool like properties that it can give the whiskey um, it, that carries over through distillation, which is really, really cool. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I'm... Sorry, I'm looking looking over here um, because I'm actually cleaning something, and I don't want my 
pot to overflow <laughs> when I'm cleaning. It's it's going through a rinse cycle. But um, anyway, anyway, long story. Anyway, let's get into it. All right, so I wrote some notes. You know, you guys, I've been trying. I've been trying really hard to um, get do some notes, do some research, get this stuff crispy and cool and fun for y'all because we can sit here and I can just BS you until I'm blue in the face. I can do it, and I will do it. I don't want to, but I will do it. Um, so I don't want to do that. Like, I want to give you some factual information um, that I know for a fact comes from the distiller or whoever, you know. So that that's kind of what I want. And so I wrote down a bunch of different bullet points and stuff like that, talking points to talk about. Like, some of these I didn't know. Some of them I did, obviously. You, like, I, like I've said multiple times in the past, you never know everything about a certain topic. There's always something that comes out that makes it a little bit different, you know, changes it up just a little bit, temperature, whatever, you know, something is going to make it a little bit harder or a little bit easier. Who depends? So I'm going to read to you what I what I wrote and I typed it because I cannot. Um, sometimes I can't even read my own writing. Yeah, it's a real it's a real thing. I promise it is. <coughs> and I quote. Whiskey production involves a crucial step known as fermentation, where yeast plays a pivotal role in converting sugars into alcohol. Here's a detailed overview of whiskey, yeast, and ferment of whiskey, yeast, and fermentation. There was not a comma there. <laughs> so, the first bullet point is yeast selection. Distilleries often use specific yeast strains chosen for their impact of flavors and aromas. And here comes the big word. Ready? We're getting super nerd out. Ready? Saccharomyces cerevisiae is the most commonly used variant, but there are others within that species and other species like Saccharomyces pastorinus. Pastorinus, yeah, can also be employed. I I haven't heard of many people using that strain um, because uh, we've already heard about all the pastor anyway. <laughs> That's, sorry, that was that was a crude joke, and I need to stop. Distilleries, the, no, distillers may also have the proprietary yeast that contribute their own unique flavor to the whiskey, like we were talking about. Um, and we'll get into one a little later that um, is actually doing that, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, so the second thing, obviously, is the ingredients that you have. Um, because the ingredients that you have are particular to the yeast strain that you're using as well. So whiskey mash typically includes grains like barley, corn, rye, or wheat, along with other grains, water, and sometimes water, and sometimes malted barley, yeast, what, what did I say? Along with grains, oh my God, yeast is added to the initial fermentation. The sugar content in the mash is what the yeast consumes to produce alcohol. So we kind of talked about that on what is whiskey a long time ago. Um, we talked about that, um, about how you break down, uh, you convert the starches into sugar uh, when you do what they call the mashing process. And so basically, if, once, if you have a malted grain, which has been 
Oh, God. Are we going to go back there? Are we going back there? Let's go back there a little bit. I'm sorry. You guys already know this, but this is just like a refresher. So malted barley is there to com- to help convert the starches into sugars. So in order to do that, you have to malt the barley because barley doesn't come already malted. I mean, it does now because you buy it like that, but it didn't, you know. So what you would do is you would basically germinate the barley. And barley has a really high, here's a $10 word, diastetic power. Depending upon the barley, obviously, there's 150, 300 strains of barley. So each one has a little bit different diastetic power, which diastetic power means the ability to convert the starches in itself to sugar, right? So like corn, for instance, its diastetic power is like 28, okay? The amount of power it takes to convert (laughs) a corn, you know, starch to sugar is 32. Yeah. So how does that work? (laughs) It doesn't. It doesn't. It can kind of, maybe on a good day, maybe it'll convert, maybe it won't. Whereas if you get a, and don't quote me on these numbers, okay? I don't have the numbers in my head. They're not just floating around like malted hops and bongres, and they're not there, okay? So understand, these are just numbers. <coughs> so like a two-row barley, which two-row means it's two separate rows of sugar, uh, starches, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. It's like 120 diastatic power. And it takes approximately 50, 45 to 50 to convert itself. Okay, so that's really cool. So that means there's some extra converting power. Think of it as like, I did my job for me. Now I'm going to help you do your job. Um, Which I wish more people would help other people do their job. Because obviously some people don't know how to do their job. Um, Anyway, but so like if you have a corn mash corn if you don't get malted corn which there's not very much malted corn out there um you can malt corn but like i say the diastatic power of it is very very low so um you use the barley to help convert the corn as well and you so so in fact you wouldn't actually have to malt the corn and most and most distilleries don't malt the corn um, it does give it a different flavor. Like when we talk to JJ, it does give it a different flavor and it has uh, different notes to it and it gives off a different uh, profile. But at the same time, you don't have to. So like most of the big distilleries, I'm talking bourbon now, right? Most of the big distilleries, they're going to take um, malted barley only and they convert the rye and the corn with that malted barley, which is pretty cool. So like if you get a six row, which is a higher diastatic power. I think it's like 180. Um, it'll convert the rye the itself, the rye, and the corn. All, all those at once. And the thing is, like on a mash bill, and we've talked about mash bill, you're only using 10, 12, 15% barley. You're not using like a whole bunch. You know, if you're making a single malt, obviously it's all barley. But like if you're making a bourbon, you're going to make like, 75% corn. So like, yeah, it's like, okay. Now, now I will tell you this. A lot of times in most of the distilleries, they use exogenic enzymes, okay? And that helps to convert 
to, to break down the starches as well. And they're like a off the shelf type thing. Um, more chemical, you know, than natural, which is fine. They work. You can't taste it, obviously, because you would have tasted it, right? So, what is this? Are we listening to Mario? That's crazy. You hear that? There's some weird songs going on here. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to let it run. That's fun. Anyway, but, um, so, once you get um, that it converted and you have the, the starches turned into sugars, that's what the yeast can eat, right? And so, the yeast come in there and they, they chomp down on that and they produce alcohol and CO2 and all these other congeners that I don't want to talk about right now because this is going to get nerdy enough as it is. We're not we're not trying to uh, to to blow your mind with all the stupid scientific method terms. All right. So, um do 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 do, do where am I? Fermentation. Okay. The fermentation process. The mash is heated to encourage the enzymes to activate and convert the starches to sugars. Like I said, once the mass cools, so after you convert it to sugar and you check it with testers and stuff like that, uh, once the mass cools, because yeast has a heat tolerance, obviously. Um, once the mass cools down, yeast is added and fermentation begins. Okay? The yeast consumes the sugar, producing alcohol, carbon dioxide, and the byproducts. So, the fermentation duration, fermentation times can vary from a few days to weeks. Longer fermentations can lead to more complex flavor profiles and allow development of additional compounds. So, like, there's some, like, there's a there's a yeast out there that, and, and I don't know if you've heard, um, I know JJ talked about it, and Al, I think Alan Bishop has talked about it too. It's called Kvike yeast. And it is a high temperature, high, I don't know, high return yeast that can literally blow through a highly sugared wash in 24 hours. How? I have no idea. It's a beast. It's a workhorse. I don't know. It's cool, though. It's cool that you can, like, you know, um, I know that at Still Austin, um, when I went over there, they were telling me that their yeast that they use, and they didn't, they said they couldn't tell me what yeast it was, of course. Everything's a trade secret because they don't want you to know. More than likely, it's M1, uh, which is the McAllen yeast that the, everybody in America uses now, too. We'll, get, we'll talk about that. Anyway, um, they said they can get a full conversion, which means from a having sugar in it to absolutely no sugar left in the wash in three days. So they leave it for one more day to what they call flocculate because the yeast, you have to think when it eats the sugar, the sugar is everywhere around them. So it's literally eating in every direction. It'd be like if you were in a, a pit of uh, donuts, right? And they're all over the place. You don't just go down and eat the donuts down. You eat them all over, right? I mean, not that you're going to, I mean, you can eat, I don't know how many donuts you could eat, right? I said one time, I bet I could eat like 20 donuts. You know, like those, you go to Krispy Kreme and get those hot and fresh ones. Like, oh my God, those are so good. But like, you think about it, once you get about, and I don't know, it depends upon the person, obviously. You get about six of those in you, bro, there ain't no way. 
There ain't no way you can be doing all that. So what happens with the yeast? They obviously multiply when they first get into the the what is now wort, right? Um, because it's not uh, mash because it has yeast in it. So now it is actually a distiller's beer. Um, they start propagating and um, they expand and through mitosis and all the scientific words, um, they start breeding and turning into the little whatever, however many grams of yeast they pitch, let's say it's 500 grams in a mash, it'll turn into 200 million grams of yeast. Um, they just multiply like crazy with it from the moment they are put in the in the in the wash. It's pretty crazy. Um, and then once fermentation starts kicking off, it makes a huge what they call a croisin. And again, like I said, we're getting nerdy, bro. Just get used to it. Sorry, I'm snorting in the mic. That's not fun. I'm sorry. Um, so it makes a croisin, which is basically a yeast cake, but it's not really a cake. They are so active in eating the sugar that they are like leaving byproducts behind. Like, I'm not going to say call it yeast crap because that's weird. Um, but it kind of is, it's just like a, a protein, right? It leaves behind a protein layer on top of the, the, uh, fermentation vessel whatever that is you know some some of them have an open top uh fermenters and stuff like that which are really cool because like it has the atmospheric you know um but it creates this this croisin on top of it because they are literally going crazy and so like when you ferment um something that has like substance to it like a lot of people a lot of distilleries they'll ferment on top of the grain so they'll take the grain that they just mashed um, and took all the sugar out of, and they will actually ferment on top of that. And therefore, they eke out a little bit more out of that grain because the yeast actually get onto the grain and eat some of the sugars that maybe didn't get converted, right? Um, but like if you're doing like a brandy or um, a fruit mash of any kind, you know what I mean, where there's actual fruit in it, it can float to the top. And then sometimes it will create like this huge like barrier and they have to go in there and they like mush it down. You know what I mean? Like it gets like a funky cake on top. It's really, it's really strange. I've seen it a couple times at Andalusia and it's like, whoa, that's gross. But it's not, it's not gross. Um, so yeah, and then um, after a while, after yeast have done their thing and, and depending upon the yeast strain and stuff, it tells you how viable they are, and um, sometimes the yeast, some of the yeast in the in the package or the propagation, only last for two days, but they're they're reproducing as well at the same time, right? So it's it, they're creating more and more, so they're dying off, they're sloughing off, they're going to the bottom, and yeast are actually cannibals, so they eat themselves to, for nutrients. Other than sugar, because like you gotta think about it, okay. And I know yeast, I you know no did no disrespect to the yeast, okay. Yeast are great, I love you guys, but like think about if you if all you did all day was eat sweets, sweet sugar, you know, take tablespoons of table sugar and just eat it all day long. After a little bit, you'd get pretty sick of that. You'd be like, okay, I need something else. 
I need to eat something else. This is killing me. Well, that's kind of how the yeast are too. They'll get kind of tired of eating it, especially like let's say they that somebody makes a mash and it has a super high what we call gravity, which gravity is just a measure of um, the amount of sugar in the liquid. So there's sugar, water, all those other compounds in there, right? So you take a gravity reading and it tells you what your points are in there. Or some te- some people call it bricks or something like that. It doesn't matter. It's all the same, right? So like let's say you have a super high gravity where there's a, p- a potential alcohol content of like 20% on, a, on just a wash, which is super high and you wouldn't want that because it stresses the yeast out. So the yeast will be like, oh God, there's so much sugar and they like freak out at first. Well, then they get too full. I mean, this is an analogy, but it's really not. This is what really happens. They get too full, and then all of a sudden they're like, why did my music go off? You know what I mean? Anyway, um, they they get too full, and then they just kind of sit around and be fat. And they're like, I eat so much sugar, man. I'm so fat. Leave me alone. I don't want to do that no more. And that's what they call a stall. And so the only way to get them out of the stall is... To, to either dilute it to where there's more water and they're like, oh, okay, cool. Or sometimes adjusting the pH of the mash can reinvigorate the, the wash. And, um, you know, and there's a whole bunch of things you can do. A lot of times it has to do with too much sugar. And normally if you put a little water with it or something like that, it'll, it'll dilute it just enough to where they'll be like, okay, I guess I'll eat again, you know. They're single-celled organisms. I don't even know if they're celled. Literally, I don't even know what they are. Um, but <laughs> I don't know where we got where we got on that tangent, but it's fine. It's fun. So the yeast eat it. It create alcohol. Cool. So another thing that you really have to worry about with some kvike, that kvike yeast, not so much, is... Um, temperature control. Controlling the fermentation temperature is crucial. Lower temperatures generally produce more fruity esters and flavors, while higher temperatures may result in more spicy or phenolic notes. So like you have to think about like, and this is going to beer, right? This is going back to making beer. But when you make a beer, you ferment it like especially a pilsner, right? Or a lager. Um, you ferment those at very, very low temperatures, like almost to the point to where the yeast will not work. Because there, there's a there's a, a gap, right? There's a, a line between 110 degrees and like, say, 40 degrees. This is Fahrenheit, right? Um, that the yeast will work. 110 is super hot, right? Normal normal pitching temperature, you think about what normally the the like 70, 75, a lot of distillers do like 60 degrees, lower, lower temperatures because they want that fruitier, fruitier flavor out of it. Um, but like I say, with Kvike, it has the ability to ferment in over 115 degrees. So like those Texas boys, you know, they're pumping Kvike in there, which I don't know if they are. I think they're actually cooling their warts <laughs> so you know they're using like a chiller to chill them um chill them down to temperature but they could use kvike and it would work just fine the issue is 
fermentation actually creates heat. So let's say you have a borderline, um, you know, like it's hot, um, and your mash is running right about 90 degrees, um, and it won't cool off. That's what the ambient temperature is, 90 degrees. Well, once you start adding yeast to that, it could go up to 95 or more, maybe even 100, depending upon how active the yeast is. So that could screw up your your entire mash and or the yeast won't work or, you know, something like that. So uh, most of the big distilleries, they use uh, what they call a glycol chiller system. And it's basically they pump propylene glycol through specific hoses that do not come in contact with the actual uh, mash. They don't come in contact with it. It's just through pipes that are ran through it. Or it has a jacket on the outside and it cools the outside of it. They do this a lot with wine making as well, obviously, because if you're if you're in a vatted room, um, it can get pretty hot in there, and so they do that to make wine especially has to be fermented at very low temperatures. Um, so yeah, let's move on. Here's one that I enjoy. Hold on. All right. Wild yeast. It's a thing. People are doing it. It's cool. I love it. Um, because it's like the nerdy side of, you know, doing all this. Some distilleries use wild yeast strains from their environment, which can add a unique characteristic to the whiskey. So that goes all the way back to terroir, right? People using local grains, local fruit, local uh, water, local... Uh, wood barrels you know basically every podcast that we've had before this they've talked about the terroir you know what i mean like uh chris with bad mo right having the oregon oak in his bad mo's um you know um even in kentucky they use that limestone water right they used limestone water to to filter and to to proof down and all that stuff they're they're doing so it's really it's super cool it's super cool so wild yeast is just another thing now the the issue with wild yeast is it's very unpredictable you have no idea what you're going to get right it could be a two percent yield yeast or it could be a 15 percent yield yeast we don't know until we do testing on it and stuff like that right um so a lot of distilleries closely guard their fermentation process as they contribute significantly to the final product. Some distilleries use open top fermenters which expose the mass to the surrounding the mash to the surrounding air, potentially inducing wild yeast and bacteria. Others use closed fermenters to maintain strict control over the yeast strain and the environmental factors. So when they do an open ferment, you're getting some of the outside influences, right? We like beer guys, beer guys, they don't do that at all. They want to keep it as closed as possible. Sanitary, sanitary, sanitary. That's all they care about. Because this, you're actually going to ingest that beer, right? You're not going to run it through a steel and boil the crap out of it. You're going to make the beer. And if you put it in an open top fermenter and it gets a bacteria in it or something, it's going to be disgusting and it could potentially hurt somebody. Whereas, 99.9% of the 
issues will on a still will get boiled out. So yeast health, you know, the the yeast got to stay healthy too. Ensuring that yeast health, ensuring yeast health is vital for successful fermentation. Proper proper nutrients are often added to the mash to support the yeast activity. So you want to balance your pH of the of your wash. You want to make sure it has enough salt. You want to make sure it has enough aeration because um, yeast need oxygen to breathe or to produce whatever. I don't know if they breathe or whatever. I don't know. It doesn't matter. They need that. What they don't need is vinegar or, <laughs> or something like that. So using the proper nutrients, and there's some, like, I've seen beer brewers. They have, like, calculations. They do it down to the gram, down to the milligram, like, of, like, they actual they put actual salt in it sometimes. It's calcium carbon, uh, not calcium carbonate. Uh, sodium citrate, like all of these, and I, I call them chemicals, but most of them are naturally derived, but still, they're, uh, they're still chemicals, you know. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a big deal, keeping your yeast healthy and happy, because you want them to do the job, right? That's how you make good whiskey. So the yeast flavor com- contribution, yeast not only converts the sugar into alcohol, but it also produces various flavor compounds and congeners during fermentation. These compounds contribute to the whiskey's aroma and its taste. So yeah, the, the different yeasts you use will make a, make a difference. Um, I've heard Alan Bishop talk in Nauseam about using uh, co-pitching, which is called you pitch two separate yeasts. Like he would pitch a whiskey yeast like he's making a whiskey, right? He would pitch a whiskey yeast, let it thrive for 24 hours, 36 hours maybe. Then he will go back and pitch a brandy yeast on top of it because the brandy yeast, like brandies, are going to be fruity and floral and all this, whereas the whiskey yeast is going to give you that grain character. That That's the hopes at least, right? We don't know. The yeast are, every yeast is a living organism, and you don't know if it's going to do the right thing or not. So that's, you're kind of leaving it up to chance at that point. Like once you piss the yeast in it, you're like, peace be with you. You know what I mean? And you're hoping for the best, literally hoping for the best. Um, and nine times out of 10, you get the best. Every once in a while, you're going to get a, a, a bad batch. You know what I mean? It won't work, but you can always clean it up with something else normally. Um, sometimes if they can't get it to work, maybe the yeast is dead. Who knows? They'll pitch another yeast, which... They call it like a, like a champagne yeast, right? Champagne yeast uh, converts super clean, super fast at super high gravities, right? Super high sugar content. So, like, they pitch that in there. It basically is a workhorse. It goes through and kills everything. Kills all the sugar. Eats all the dead yeast that are at the bottom. Does its thing. And it's like, okay, done. So, in summary. And we're not done. We're not done. Um, in summary, yeast and the fermentation process are crucial aspects to whiskey production. Different yeast strains and fermentation techniques and distillery practices all influence the flavor and character of a final whiskey product, making it a key component in the art of whiskey making. It's an art, bro. It really is. Like if you go to when you go to a distillery, like it is magic. It is freaking magic. They pitched this yeast in that wort they, that they were even able to make the mash to begin with. 
is a freaking big deal. But anyway, they do the thing. It turns out, come to find out, it's freaking awesome, right? And you're like, holy crap. It's all it's all freaking voodoo is what it is, probably. Playing with the devil. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, yeah. Keep having to turn the dang mic up and down and back around and do all the things with the thing. <laughs> all right. So, sorry, I had to... You don't care. You don't care. I know you don't. I had to pause right there and do something. You won't even know. All right. So now, we talked about yeast. It's super nerdy. It's. I mean, it's not really that nerdy. Like, if you have... Inside baseball. Ready? Inside baseball. My wife. My wife? She's very nice. No. Um, wow. I really did that. I'm sorry. Um, my wife loves to make sourdough. And if you've ever had a sourdough, it is so different than a regular bread. And we're, we're getting back to the whiskey. Calm down. Um, this has This has to do with it. Sourdough is basically a live yeast. And it is a propagated yeast that is a wild yeast. that, Which is really cool because think about this. <coughs> the sourdough that I make in my house. Well, I don't. <laughs> the sourdough that my wife makes in my house is not going to be nowhere near the same as the sourdough made in Italy. Right? It's not going to be the same. It's going to taste different. It's got different features, different esters, different things. The sourdough we make in our house is going to be a lot different than the sourdough they make next door. They make down the street. You know, there's no telling. And that's what's so cool about yeast. It's It picks up the characteristics. Like around my house, again, inside baseball, um, around my house, there's a lot of pecan trees. Well, pecan is specifically known for carrying a lot of yeast strains, a lot of different yeast strains. Um, so our our sourdough is going to be a little nutty because of the pecans. Yeah, I mean, yeast is on everything, bro. Everything. If you did a, <laughs> this is gross, but if you did a culture and got a swab and just swabbed your forehead, right? and checked it for yeast, I guarantee you it has 800 million yeast strains on it. Not strains, but yeast particles. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. You can't get rid of it. That's It's the most abundant thing on this entire planet, is yeast. I'm going to try and scoot back a little bit. Because I tell you what, bro. Maybe. It's getting friggin' hot. Nope. Did I do it too much? Sorry, I'm having. I did it. I did it too much. Cracker. I'm sorry. I screwed it up. Oh, God. Help me. I'm such an idiot sometimes, dude. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I got to get this uh, studio. I'm going to call it the studio. It's not the shed anymore. Um, I got to get this studio. No, it's the shed. It's still the shed. I don't care. 
Uh, I gotta get the shed straightened up for my my new mic. This is some bull. That's a bullarky. You know what I mean? Is that a thing? Bullarky. Uh, anyway, yeast is so prevalent in the world, and we're gonna talk right now after a drink, of course. We're gonna talk about a specific distillery and um, and their yeast. So <sighs> this is this is a little jaded in the way that it is um, coming across. Okay, um, there is a lot of history involved in this, but there's also a lot of mystery involved in this. So some of the facts that I found might not be 100% true. It's just what they have found, right? I did some research on from different places because the actual distillery doesn't say a whole lot about it, uh, which it's their, it's their right, you know what I mean? Kind of like people or distilleries don't want to talk about their mash bills. They don't want to tell you how much barley they put or how much corn they put. Because they don't want you to try and recreate it. Which, if you think about it, I can't make... There's no way that somebody could recreate Buffalo Trace. You know what I mean? You just can't do it. Because unless you were at, like I say, the terroir, unless you were at that distillery at that specific place at that specific time, like we when we talked about wood, different parts of the warehouse creates different profiles, creates different esters, creates different... Blah, 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 different wood, different barrels, different, you know, there's no way you can do it. And that goes with the yeast, too. It's just, you know, some of these people have had these quote-unquote secrets for a long time. So, the distillery we are going to talk about, and we're not, I'll do a deep dive on the actual distillery because it's pretty cool, too. Um, but basically, is um, one that I think you might have heard of. I'm hoping you have. Um, if you haven't, then uh, what the heck are you doing here? No, I'm joking. I'm glad you're here. Um, I'm glad you stuck around for this long because we're um, we're not even. Well, I say we like we're probably halfway through. But anyway, moving on. The distillery we're going to talk about is Jim Beam. Yeah, Jim Beam. It's one of the most iconic names in American whiskey, and has a fascinating history when it comes to yeast procurement. The story of Jim. Joy. The story of Jim Beam's yeast is both unique and integral to the brand's legacy. Remember, we talked about legacy, right? People, uh, those legacy brands, they're very, very into that. All right, so point number one, bullet point one. I, I know, I hate to do bullet points, but that's what it is. Is T.W. Samuel's connection. The story begins with T.W. Samuels, a distiller and relative of Jim Beam. He is known for producing whiskeys with a distinct and beloved flavor profile. So he used a specific type of yeast. They don't really know, like there's not a whole lot of, uh, there's a little, but anyway. Number two, Prohibition Era. Yeah, during the Prohibition Era in 1920 to 1933, the production of alcoholic beverages were banned in the United States. However, some distillers continued their craft covered covertly for medicinal purposes or for bootlegging. 
So that's one of the things that Jim Beam would do. They would prescribe whiskey. Yeah, they were still making whiskey. And they were making it for war, for the war uh, efforts as well. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, preserving the yeast strain. This is, this is the big one here. To protect the family's unique strain and ensure the, the quality of their whiskey. When Prohibition ended, T.W. Samuels and his son, M.B., or Bill Samuels, preserved the yeast by passing it down through generations. So, I don't know if I go into it on here. I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait till the very end. I'll wait because I I feel like it's it's kind of a it's kind of a cool caveat. Is that the right word? <clears throat> the story of Old Tub. Yeah, in 1795, Jacob Bean, Jim Bean's great great grandfather, wow, he's old, <laughs> began distilling whiskey in Kentucky. He used yeast strain that would eventually become famous. The yeast strain has been handed down through the entire family. So, Old Tub was like one of the original whiskeys that Jim Bean made, and it was a kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek play on bathtub whiskey, right? <coughs> Bill Samuel Samuels Sr., which he was the one that had, um, that his, his father had the, during Prohibition, right? Um, he had a new recipe. In 1954, he took over the Jim Beam Distillery, deciding to make significant changes in the recipe. He eliminated the traditional family yeast stream, replacing it with a new one. That change led to the creation of what is known now as Jim Beam bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. So evidently, when he changed the yeast strain, it I'm guessing it was better. I don't know. I, I I'd love to try some pre-1954. That would be pretty cool. Anybody out there has some a um, 1946 Jim Beam? Hit me up. Please. <laughs> so the secret recipe. Bill Samuels never revealed the specific reason for changing the yeast strain or the details of the new yeast strain he used. He also often referred to it as his secret family yeast or the Jim Beam yeast. Despite the change of the yeast, Jim Beam committed to quality and consistency remained. The brand continued to grow and, and gain popularity, becoming a household name in American whiskey. American whiskey. Jim Beam remains to be one of the most recognizable and respected whiskey brands globally. While the yeast strain has changed, the brand's dedication to craftsmanship and tradition endures. In essence, Jim Beam's yeast procurement story is a blend of family legacy, secrecy, and the willingness to adapt while maintaining the brand's commitment to producing high-quality bourbon. The exact details of the yeast strain remain closely guarded secret adding an air of mystique to the Jim Beam story. <clears throat> so, as you can tell, there's not a lot there. There's really not. They used a specific type of yeast. Here's the issue with Kentucky. Look at Kentucky, right? Lexington, Louisville. That's how you say it. You don't say it Louisville. It's not Louisville. It's Louisville. I say it like you're slurring. Louisville. 
<laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I have no idea how to say it right. Um, it's funny. I'm so stupid. I'm sorry. Um, there are so many distilleries there, right? So many. I can't even count them. Hundreds, you know? So you have to think. They're fermenting there. They're doing all these things. There's yeast. Whiskey yeast, right? Everywhere. Right? I, I know y'all, and we might have talked about this, and, you know, I'm trying to go back and listen to the old podcast, and to, that way I don't repeat myself too many times, but at the same time, I don't know if I talked about this or not. Um, Jack Daniels actually got, I don't know if it's sued or fined or something like that, because their whiskey production was creating black, what they call whiskey mold, all over the town that they were making whiskey in. And so, like, it was basically creating a whiskey cake all over everything. Which I'm like, what the heck? That's crazy, right? It's freaking crazy. And then they would go and they'd clean it off, right? They'd pressure wash everything or bleach it or I don't even know what they did. Um, And then, like, three months later, it'd come back. Because they're just, I mean, they're blowing through some whiskey. You know, think about that. There's a lot of yeast in the air. But it's the same with Kentucky, right? Maybe even worse. I'm sure it's the same. I don't know why they haven't talked about that. Um, But I've even seen it at smaller distilleries. You'll see it's not black mold. It almost looks like soot. You know, like like the inside of your fireplace or something. Um, It's almost soot-like, but it's not mold. It's just yeast on the walls, I guess. It's non-toxic. It's not going to do anything, but it's just, you know, people freak out when they see black stuff on their, on the side of their building or something, so they freak out about it, thinking it is black mold, um, which, you know, I'm not EPA certified, so I can't tell you if it is or not, but what would happen, um, I mean, you got to think that the Jim Bean yeast strain that for some reason Samuels did not like, or he changed it, or he lost it, I need to do a little more detail on that because I think I want to think that like it got stolen. Crap. I don't really remember. Like we talked about it, but I don't really remember. Anyway, what what they would do, what Samuels, this new guy with this new yeast strain, um, what he would do is he would put it inside what they call like Donna jug, like Donna from that 70s show. Donna jug and they would basically when they would make their their mash they would do what they call a starter and they would get some of the mash put it in like the Donna jug and they would pour the yeast or the yeast was already in the jug right and then they would pour this on top of it and the yeast would propagate and they would start working and it's it's what they call a starter and it basically makes sure that the yeast is viable and happy before they go in their home, you know, to make the to make the whiskeys. So, um, they would uh, they would use this Donna jug, and Samuels would take the Donna jug home every day. Every day he would take that thing home, like his lunchbox, because he did not want anybody to take it. He did not trust anybody with this yeast. And I'm like, okay, come on, pal. That's a little bit much. Like, why are you so brought up on this yeast? 
Don't get me wrong. Jim Beam makes good whiskey. They do. Is it the best whiskey in the world? No, it's not. Like, your yeast strain is more than likely everybody else's yeast strain, too. It might be hybridized a little bit and changed up a little bit. But there's no reason to have it, you know, sitting next to your bed while you're sleeping. You know what I mean? So, anyway. I, th- I thought that was re- really strange. But the Donna Jug, a, l- a lot of times, and not, not all the time, uh, they're actually made out of copper. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about copper, right? We've talked about copper and stills and how it takes some of the sulfurous compounds out of your distillate, right? Evidently, it can do that with your yeast and your yeast uh, cake what they call a cake because your yeast whenever it's not active that doesn't mean it's dead right the yeast doesn't just die it goes dormant kind of like an Eskimo during the winter right you just kind of like chill out until it's time for them to work again and then they come out now there is a point of no return to where you can work them too much or they die off or and that's why they always keep refreshing this what they call donna jug and they would use that donna jug every day to make a new starter every day all day all day every day they're making this starter it's that's pretty crazy and they they've kept doing it since i guess since what was it 54 that's a long time to be and i don't know if they carry the donna jug home still i don't know I don't know if they do that. If I ever go to... Oh, we're jamming. If I if I ever go to uh, Jim Beam, I will ask that. I will ask to see the Donna Jug. I will ask to see the yeast. I will ask if I can have some of the yeast. I just think that would be cool to have some of the yeast, right? That would be freaking awesome. I'll go get it analyzed in a lab, and then we'll recreate it and sell it and make millions. No. I'm sure there's... <laughs> legality issues with taking their yeast. I'm sure of that. I'm going to turn this down a little more. Sorry. For some for some reason, some of those songs, they come in hot, man. They come in hot. Anyway. So, yeast is very important. Excuse me. Yeast is very important. Um, it's what makes the you know, it's literally the turning point of the whiskey because there's no way you could distill the sugary wash and get anything out of it. That's what makes the alcohol. And when you distill it, is all you're doing is pulling that alcohol that the yeast makes, pulling it off of the other stuff that was left behind. So it's all, all big props to the yeast for doing their job because without them, we wouldn't have all this wonderful liquid. Right? So it's it's really kind of funny that all of this hinges on a microorganism that doesn't even know what it's doing. Or maybe it does, and they might be smarter than us. Who knows? I mean, they're the ones making the alcohol, right? We're just the ones watching them. Maybe they are smarter than us. What if, and I don't want to get on this tangent because like, this will take you down a rabbit hole that you don't want to go down. What if the yeast are aliens? That's crazy. I just thought about that. What if they're actually alien? Huh. That's different. Didn't really think about that. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to think that these little microorganisms that do nothing, you know, they 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 literally um, are what recreate and what make the whiskey. Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. So we're gonna finish up. We're gonna finish up here in a minute. Um, there is some other really cool yeasts out there, and fermentation in itself is an art. And there's some people that are really good at making good fermentations and doing stuff like that. And it's all about not stressing the yeast, like like we've talked about. Don't stress the yeast. You don't want to put not enough yeast in. If you put too much, it's just wasteful. You can't over, what they call over pitch. You can't really over pitch. You can just you, you waste yeast. Yeast is expensive. It's hard to propagate. It's not hard to propagate, but to propagate properly and have a specific um, yeast strain. Um, so Jesse from Stillet, he has a podcast that he doesn't ever do. I don't know. Anyway, no, I know he's busy. It's fine. Um, and, but he actually was talking to um, yeast manufacturers and they actually make the yeast for you to use and making beers and stuff like that, which is really cool. Like, it's really cool how they do it. They basically make a beer. They, I don't know, hybridize, I guess, this, this yeast strain and change it like m- molecularly through a microscope. Like, they add like um, a little bit of like citric acid to it or something and it changes the yeast cell and changes it into something else and they're able to get different profiles and it's really prominent in like beers and stuff like that to get like a guava or passion fruit or like all of these very strange notes not strange they're cool but like and that is all because of the yeast so just think the yeast farts basically are making all those notes in the in the beer really pretty cool but like a lot of a lot of distilleries just use a basic yeast, like I said. But the ones that are trying cool stuff and trying different yeast strains, like um, oh god, Four Roses. Four Roses has proprietary proprietary. Oh golly, I I always flub up on that word. Proprietary blend of herbs and spices. No, of. I think I said that the last time too. I am so like cringy, literally cringy. Anyway, they have a specific types of yeast that they use, but they have like different mash bills as well. So they they have this new box set that came out and I wanted to get it. I might still get it. It's pretty expensive and it's like 100 mil bottles, uh, but it's every yeast strain and every mash bill. That's cool. Like to do comparisons and like, how does this one taste? How does this one taste? Because you will taste the difference. Most of the time, they use the same yeast over and over and over again, and you won't notice a difference in the yeast. And with like bourbons, especially, you're going to get the barrel notes and all of that stuff. You're not really going to get as much yeast flavor, right? But in American single malt, which is prominent right now, you're getting a lot of the notes of the yeast as well, especially in a younger, more lively um, single malt. 
And then there's those ones like Westland and Westward and uh, Stranahan's and Telnua and, oh gosh, I, mean, I can keep going, uh, Cedar Ridge, all of those guys that are propagating yeast, they're doing their own thing, they're using all this wild ferment, they're doing all of these really cool things um, to see like, hey, we made a special release with just wild yeast. It tastes funky, but it's cool. That's that's that to me is like the nerd geek in me comes out and I'm like, I got to try that. That sounds cool. It might not be the best whiskey. You know what I mean? It might not be the best. Maybe their baseline is the best. Who knows? And they use a, you know, basic yeast in that. But it's it's all about trying it. You know what I mean? And I'm really happy that these uh, more craft guys, but the newer the, you know, the big the big six are doing it as well. Uh, they're they're playing around with yeast strains and stuff like that. So um, I'm excited to see kind of where this goes now that people are getting a little geekier with the yeast and the fermentations and and stuff like that. I'm excited to see kind of where it goes from here because they are they're going to change the way the whiskey tastes for sure. Um, you know, if you've done the same thing since 1954 with the same yeast since 1954, you're going to get the same profile since. 1954 but change that yeast a little bit and see what happens right and i'm not saying don't have your original product right have that one but maybe release one that has a different yeast strain as long as you don't mix them right you don't want to make some you don't want to destroy the heritage at all you're not trying to destroy the heritage you're just trying to bring something else to light you know what i mean and that's ex- that's the exploration or as Jesse says, that's the chasing of the craft. Like everybody that is into distilled spirits world, they're doing it for a specific reason. Obviously, a lot of it has to do with money, right? But a, some of it has to do with they enjoy the chemistry of it. They enjoy doing cool shit. You know what I mean? They're like, I really enjoy this. This is fun, right? So, I don't know. I just... I th- I'm really excited to see where the whiskey scene is going, you know, uh, especially American single malt. I'm really excited about American single malt, obviously, but I'm also, um, I feel like bourbon's going to change. I really do. I feel like bourbon's going to change um, out of necessity or maybe just out of trying to keep up. Uh, not that American single malt and scotch and, and Irish and all them are going to like overrun the market, but I think people in general are getting very, and I see this in my, in my walk, I see this, people are getting kind of pissed off that they can't get bourbon. They can't get the bourbons, you know, like everybody wants the Wellers and the Pappies and the this and the that, and you can't get them. You just can't. I'm sorry. I saw this guy. I was scrolling, aimlessly scrolling through Facebook or something. Which, who who's on Facebook? Anyway, long story. I am, but it's like, yeah, whatever. Um, I was aimlessly scrolling, and he went to some store. I don't even know the store. And then I'll be done after this. He went to some store, and he picked up, I I mean, it was probably 20 bottles. 20 bottles of whiskey, which good on you, bro. Whatever. I don't care. I don't have to pay your bills or be your liver. <laughs> I don't I don't care. But he literally got two bottles. He got E.H. Taylor 
but it was the barrel proof. Okay, I get it. I understand. But and then he got what they call stag or stag junior. It used to be stag junior. He got probably ten of each bottle. And on the one hand, I'm like, okay, cool, show off much. And then on the second hand, I'm like, dude, that was a real douche move. Because for one, why do you need that? Unless he's going to sell them on secondary, which pisses me off. But like, why do you need 10 bottles of the same whiskey? Like, I understand having a backup of something by two, three. That's fine, I guess. There's so much out there. Like, literally, what are you doing? Why do you have 10 bottles of stag? For one, it's 138 proof you know, like 68% alcohol or whatever. Like, bro, most people ain't going to want to drink that. It's so freaking hot. But I get I get having a couple bottles because I have a bottle of Stag. Cool. But it's like, yeah, I, I just don't get the, the, the draw to it. Like, I love collecting whiskeys. I guess that's what it's called now. Um, I love that. I've actually taken kind of a little break and I think I'm going to maybe for the rest of the year just to kind of recoup some monetary <laughs> stuff. But also, like, I have so much that, like, I need to weed through it a little bit. And I still got bottles coming in, so it's not, it's not like a bad thing. But, uh, yeah, I'm just kind of taking a little break from it because it's like, man, it's like it gets so saturated. I still go to the liquor store and stuff every once in a while, but... It gets so saturated, bro. It's it's it kind of sucks, um, but yeah, it's like these people buying like 10, 12 bottles of the same damn thing, and I'm like, bro, I know exactly what you're gonna do with that, and it's really crappy because like le- buy two bottles. I'm okay with you buying two bottles. Leave the rest for somebody else, please. That's why we can't get things, is because these people go and they buy eight hundred bottles at a time. Like, man, leave some for the rest of us. That's it. Rant over. I'm sorry. But, it. I mean, uh, you you would feel the same way. I feel like you would feel the same way. If, like, okay, here's, the, here's an analogy, but it's not a great analogy, but it's the same thing. If I invited you to my house and we're having breakfast, right, and I made a bunch of bacon, mm-hmm, and you know how you smell the bacon when you, yeah, when you're upstairs or when you know you're sleeping and you're like, I smell bacon. You come in there and there's like a whole plate of bacon. And I give you one piece of bacon and eat the rest. That's the same thing. I, enough said. Same thing. It's a douche move. Just saying. It's pretty douchey. Don't do it. Anyway. All right. I think we talked enough about yeast and yeast yeast related things. Um thank y'all again for for listening in. Um we're doing some cool stuff. I got some cool guests coming up. Um by the time you hear this, they might already be out. I don't know. Um I don't know, man. I'm I'm getting like a log of like uh podcasts that I've already recorded that I'm waiting to release because I'm you know, got got a lot in the books, which is awesome. I'm so like I'm so blessed, guys. And I thank y'all so much for listening and, and tuning in. And um, uh, don't be surprised if you hear some uh, ad reads in the near future. Just saying, guys, I'm, I'm being dead serious. Um, 
but there'll be stuff that you guys are going to enjoy and I'm going to make them fun. Obviously, I'm not I'm not trying to trying to be like welcome back. No, no, we're not doing that. Uh we're going to be cool. We're going to we're going to hang out. So I'm going to leave you with this note. Um and this will kind of wrap up everything and then we're done. Um I said that on the last one. I know, but uh, yeast is important. It needs to be treated re- with respect, and you need to respect the distilleries that are actually doing that. Um, the ones that are that care about the yeast and the strains and the stuff like that, those are the ones that I feel like are going to be do something in the in the dis- in the world in the distilled spirits world. Um, so I focus my attention on those. Um, you don't have to. You can do whatever you want. You're a grown person, man, woman, child. I hopefully you're not a child, because you don't need to be drinking whiskey if you're a child. But, uh, and you won't believe me. My son wanted to try my whiskey, and I said, "You, you if you take one drink, you'll never drink whiskey again. I promise." And he didn't. He was like, he likes to smell it, right? He's like, "Yeah, can I smell your whiskey?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you can smell it." And um, he's like. He's like, man, I can't wait till I can drink that. And I'm like, I understand, bud, but here's the deal. Um, I need your brain to work a little bit. Like once you get older, you know, you know, your brain is your brain and you know, it's, it's whatever. But, uh, but yeah. All right, guys, this has been fun. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, learning about how dare it, how dare it cut me off right at my sign off. What the heck is going on? I don't know. I'm literally going to record 10 seconds. This is bull. Anyway, I got to find a new provider. This is some bull. I'm trying to do some professional stuff here and I keep saying, nope, you're done. Sorry. Anyway, until next time, you know what to do. Keep your spirits up. Love y'all.